world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so for the born-again believer, a reconditioned or renewed mind will always produce a transformed life. It's one thing to be born again and for your spirit to be made new, but it's another thing for your mind to be renewed and for that to be translated into an outward expression and experience of life. Remember, your spirit was born again, but your soul was not and your body was not. You have the same flesh as someone who doesn't know God. And so we see that the born-again spirit is a past-completed work identified in Scripture with a past-tense verb tense. It says you have been saved. But the same Bible that says you have been also at the same time says you are being. And this is referring to the, the ongoing work of discipleship where the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit are renewing and reconditioning our minds so that we think in agreement with what God has already done deep within us. And so this is the key then to experiencing transformation in your life reality for the born-again believer is the renewing of the mind. And again, this is an ongoing process. Now, the Lord began to speak to us earlier this year about His desire to produce a significant shift in our lives, a a significant positive uh, shift. And we said that A significant shift in our lives will not happen unless and until a significant shift occurs in our thinking. You you can't have one without the other. Now, my uh, children uh, grew uh, incrementally. And uh, some of you heard me say this before, but when John Mark and Bethany were younger, there were times when I would go out of town to to work. And uh, when I would come back after maybe being gone five or six days, I would, I would be amazed at how much they had grown in a week. But when I was there with them, seeing them every day, I did not notice the, uh, the incremental, or we could say the gradual uh, growth, uh, you know, in development. And, and it wasn't just in their stature, or, you know, their height or, or their weight. Um, you know, you, you may leave with them talking, speaking at one level and, and come back four or five days later and they're using bigger words now and maybe putting those words together into phrases and things of that nature. So they, in other words, they were developing on, on every level. But again, when you're right there with them on a daily basis, it's hard to recognize the, the, the incremental and gradual uh, growth and development. And so incremental and gradual growth and development uh, occurs for the born-again believer. Uh, obviously, it's not automatic. Hebrews 5 tells us that there are people who, you know, in, in those days were in the church, had been there for years, been there long enough to be teaching other people, but were still like spiritual babies. So you can be born again for 20 years, but still be a spiritual baby. But I think, you know, at least let's just speak for all of us this morning. Come on now, I'm talking, trying to encourage you this morning. You know, we, we are growing, we are moving the needle, we are making incremental and, and, and gradual growth and development. And, and that's important. But let's not lose sight of the reason we're experiencing uh, incremental progress and experience in our life reality is directly related to the incremental uh, renewing and reconditioning of our minds. You, you can't have one unless and until. You can't have one without the other. Now, this then brings us back to the idea that a gradual shift or an incremental shift in our thinking will produce a gradual shift in our lives. But as our minds are reconditioned, now, now stay with me here. I, I want to build on some of these things and, and then 
Uh, we're going to talk some more about worldview today. Praise God. I'm excited about that. But as our, as our minds are being reconditioned, please listen to this very carefully, okay? And the Holy Spirit's going to help us uh, visualize this, okay? We inevitably come to larger obstacles that cause our progress to grind to a halt, okay? Larger obstacles that will cause your progress to grind to a halt. These larger obstacles that slow and eventually stall our progress are deeply held wrong beliefs often reinforced by years of life experience. Okay? So wrong thinking will only carry you so far into the things of God as far as your life experience goes. Meaning in order to make further growth and develop In a greater way, we are then dependent upon a significant, if not a radical shift in our thinking. I'm going to give you some examples. Just stay with me, all right? So we we can grow incrementally and gradually, a little bit here, a little bit there. But eventually, that's going to bring us up against what may be a very big obstacle for you. Here, here's an example uh, in, my, in my own life, okay? When I was uh, young in my walk with the Lord, uh, and because I wanted to go to heaven and absolutely did not want to go to hell, uh, it didn't take much for a pastor or an evangelist to get me to come to the altar. Amen. Um, I only got, in heaven, it's only recorded that I was born again once, okay? Uh, but I got saved a bunch of times, okay? I, I padded a lot of Southern Baptist statistics, Okay, as far as people counting the number of folks that, that got saved. We'd be at a revival, and I'm, I'm heading to the altar, you know. And I'm thinking, well, you know, why chance it? You know, I mean, uh, and, and, but what the Lord showed me later was that I kept running headlong into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because remember, Jesus came to do two things for you. He came to take away your sins, and he came to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And my thinking in those days was that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not for the modern-day church, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not for the born-again believer today. As a matter of fact, the pastor that we grew up under in the Baptist church, they taught that, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, was passed and speaking in tongues was of the devil, all right? But see, so that was a stronghold in my thinking. That, that was a big obstacle in my thinking. And I could grow and develop and grow and develop and grow and develop, but in order for me to go on into, like, spiritual gifts and things of that nature... Uh, I, I was, I was going to have to go through another threshold. Are you following what I'm saying? And so I would come to, if you can imagine this as, as a door, I would come to the door of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and my thinking would turn me away from it and so I would loop back and I kept going back through the door of salvation over and over again. I would just come back through the door of salvation, I would come to that next door, my thinking turned me away from it and I would, I would uh, keep, keep going back through that door of salvation. Now watch this. I'm, obviously I've had to repent and ask the Lord to forgive me since. But once I was baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in unknown tongues, I never went back through the door of salvation again. Are you, are you seeing this? I, because, I, but, but now that, that was not a gradual uh, or incremental shift in my thinking. Are you seeing what I'm saying? That was significant. This, this was uh, life-altering uh, for me. And, and so 
you know, somebody in here, and I, I've done this, and I've taught on these things for so long that I know the devil, I know his next move, you know. He thinks I'm not spiritual because I don't speak in time. No, no, see, again, the devil's telling you that. I'm not telling you that. You listen to me, please. All right, let me, let me give you some more uh, examples here. You do realize you can only progress so far in the things of God thinking that your righteousness is determined by your behavior. There's a lot of God's children who think that their standing with Him is based upon what they've done for Him lately, that their standing with Him, uh, being in right standing with God, is, is based upon their performance and their behavior. And that's wrong thinking. And you're only going to progress so far into the things of God until you let the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God help you deal with that errant thinking. Amen? But once you break over into an understanding of and a, and a view of your walk with God, not based upon what you've done for Him, but what He's done for you. See, this is a significant shift in our thinking. The gradual, the incremental, need to do better here, need to work a little more here, need to spend a little more time in the Word here, all that stuff's important. But eventually it's going to bring you to these bigger obstacles, okay, these next doorways, if you will. Um, in the Old Testament, we see it went from ankle-deep water to knee-deep water to, you know, if you're going to keep moving into the deeper things of God, you know, what keeps people from, from moving into the deeper things of God? What, why aren't you raising the dead right now? Amen. Right? So there's obstacles, there's strongholds, and those obstacles and strongholds are, are things that are in our thinking, that are in our mind. Are you still with me this morning? All right. So you can only progress so far uh, in the things of God, thinking that God only loves you when you're good. See, we need, a, we need a worldview. We need a worldview that includes there's nothing I could do right now to make him love me any more or any less than he loves me right now. See, when you approach every day of your life with an understanding that God's love for you is based upon who you are and not your performance, not your, your being good or being bad, but that he loves you because of who you are. See, now when we begin to, so that's a significant shift. That, that, is, that is such a, a you know, it, it brings you into greater dimensions or, or, or depths of, of, of freedom in Christ. Not freedom to sin. The Bible clearly teaches us that when we understand more and more the love that God has for us, it enables us to be filled more and more with the fullness of God. And it's what motivates us to purify our lives even as Christ is pure, Ephesians and 1 John. Now, you also can only progress so far in the things of God thinking who you are is determined by what you do. See, if, if, and that's a stronghold again, and we've dealt with that recently this year, but, but when, when we think that our being is determined by our doing, this is wrong thinking. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, but as long as you hold on to that wrong thinking, as long as you hold on to the false belief that says who you be is determined by what you do, you're, you're eventually, your progress is going gonna, is gonna to hit a ceiling. It's going to hit a wall. And that wall is going to turn you back into, you know, when I say turn you back, it's going to turn you away from moving forward, and you're going to circle back through the last revelation that you received from God, the last thing that you heard from God. You just keep going around the mountain, just like they did in the Old Testament. The Lord asked us a very important question. I don't remember now exactly how many years ago it was. He said, don't you want to know what's on the other side of the wall you keep hitting? Don't you want to know what's on the other side of the wall that you keep hitting? Well, the walls that, that, that we keep hitting, um, certainly 
you know, on the surface, you know, we think of them as being maybe financial obstacles or, or educational obstacles. We think of them in terms of natural things and things that seem to be in the physical realm holding us back. But the reality of it is the obstacles we keep, the wall that we keep hitting, the obstacles that are, that are preventing us from going deeper into the things of God and deeper into the, to the experiences of, our, of the inward realities of our new birth, have more to do with wrong thinking in our, in, our, in our hearts and minds than it has to do with anything that's going on around us. What did Jesus say about the mountain? He said, you speak to it and believe in your heart and do not doubt, and it will, it will obey you. So any physical, natural obstacle or wall that you seem to be hitting and can't break through, that's just a matter of, of, of you being able to speak to it and believe in your heart and not doubt, and it, it'll move. Amen. But see, again, this, this, this brings us back to uh, another one of those obstacles where, you know, the words of your mouth and believing what you say and, and, and so forth and so on. So in the course of our study over the last couple of weeks, we, we've talked about how we experience the world. And as long as we think, understand, and speak like a child, we will experience the world from a child's perspective. We also looked at Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to probably come back to that for some, some deeper study. But in Galatians 4, after having made the case that we're children of God and heirs of God and, and rule and reign with God in the first three chapters of Galatians, he goes on to say that the heir, as long as he is a child, will differ nothing from a slave, though he be Lord of all. So you've got someone who has been given a position of royalty, but their life experience, they're experiencing life as a slave experiences life, not as the ruler, the master, the Lord, lowercase l-o-r-d, of all that God has made them. And, and notice now, it, it comes back to they're experiencing life because of the way they view the world and the way they view themselves and according to the way they view um, you know, their role and their place in the world and in the plan that God has for them. Am I going too fast for you? So we said that a reconditioned mind then involves the total transformation of your worldview. Now, I, I went back even again this week, and I'm like, Lord, are you sure we want to keep using this word? Because I, I really, as I told you last week, I was, I was searching for a word, and, and we settled in for a couple of weeks on the word perceive, and, and how you perceive something, is your, your awareness of it, your consciousness of it. And certainly perception is, is a huge part of our worldview. But the, the term worldview is, is, a, is a comprehensive term that, um, that includes so many different uh, aspects. Like, for instance, stories. Part of your worldview is the collection of stories that you've heard or that you've lived. Amen. Your, your experiences, your worldview is formed by experiences. It's formed by stories. That's why Jesus told stories. Are you hearing me? Because our stories go straight to our heart. Amen? Um, you know, that, that's why for some folks it's, it's hard for them to stay focused on someone teaching or preaching from the Word of God because we've, we've, be, we've been trained, our brains have been trained uh, you know, people who can't sit in a in a thirty minute sermon can watch a two hour movie and, and and not even you know come up for popcorn, because the story right draws them in. The story draws them in, and so Jesus told stories because he he recognized how impactful and influential stories are in shaping 
a man or a woman's worldview um, experiences. But I'll get to the lengthier definition of worldview here in just a moment. But when we talk about a reconditioned mind, we're not just talking about changing the way we think in a few areas of our lives. But a fully reconditioned mind is one that now views the world and your place in it the way Jesus viewed the world and his place in it. Amen. Amen. Oh, man, I want you to get stirred up about this. All right. So I believe then that the significant shift our Father is speaking of for us as a family of faith this year is uh, going directly to a significant shift in our worldview. Now, before we go any further... Let me ask you again, would you agree with me, would you agree with me that Jesus viewed the world much differently than everyone around him? Just, I want you to think about that for just a moment. When we talk about, you know, his glory and we talk about all that Jesus accomplished and the way he pleased the Father and the miracles and the ministry and the love and the way he responded even to people who hated him. You know, we, we talk about so many different aspects. You know, his wisdom, his power. Uh, and, and all those things are certainly extremely important. I'm not trying to, to, uh, to dismiss them. But how many times do we think, you know, because the Bible says the Holy Spirit was given to Jesus without measure, right? And so it's very easy to look at those things and go, that's why Jesus did what he did, because he had the Holy Spirit without measure. That's why Jesus was so powerful in what he did, because he had this great love and, and so forth and so on. And, and all that, I think, is, is accurate. But how many times do we say, Jesus did everything that he did because of his worldview? See, we, we, don't, we don't think of it that way. We don't, we don't necessarily think that one of the key factors in Jesus' uh, success and fulfillment of his destiny was the view that he had, the, the lens through which he saw himself, the world, and other people around him. Would you agree that Jesus looked at people and situations and dilemmas and problems in a different way than everyone else? So he did. Remember when the disciples, they were, I think they were trying to sound spiritual, when the man was born blind? And they, and they go to Jesus and they're like, <clears throat> Jesus, uh, was it this young man who sinned or was it his parents? And Jesus looks at him like, what in the world are you talking about? But see, now notice, what is the lens through which they're trying to interpret this situation? Your, your, your worldview is, is not just the lens through which you view the world. Your worldview then becomes the lens through which you interpret. You try to make sense. Come on now. We try to make sense of things. If you're breathing, if, you, if you're alive and fog a mirror, we're trying to make sense of things. We're trying to figure things out. And what we've got to understand is that our worldview is the, is, the, is the factor that informs our thinking, that informs our interpretation of what's going on around us. So when they ask the question, who sinned, this, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I mean, that question don't even make sense. How, did, he, did he, like, stick up a liquor store while he was in his mother's womb? I mean, what did he do before he was born did he watch too much pornography when he was in his mother's womb and therefore born blind? Are you, are you I'm not trying to be silly about these things, but like the question didn't even make sense. 
But Jesus didn't look at them, I think, like a calf looking at a new gate because the question didn't make sense. It was because it really revealed the lens through which they viewed the world. They didn't see themselves as the answer to this man's problem. They saw themselves as the judge of that man. They don't see themselves as the one who could actually uh, uh, alleviate his suffering and bring a, a miracle into this situation. That was not their perspective. That was not the, the worldview that they had. That was not the lens through which they viewed this situation. They did, that's not how they interpreted it, nor did... In other words, their view did interpret the situation. It just interpreted it incorrectly. But notice it also put them in a wrong position as it related to that situation. Jesus looks at them and he says, it has nothing to do with that. This is just another opportunity for my Father to be glorified on planet Earth. See, Jesus didn't see a man born blind or, or even, you know, try to unravel all the reasons why he was born blind. Jesus' lens, his worldview, said there's no reason why this man should live another minute blind. what he knew see it's how he saw it so i'm gonna ask you again would you agree with me that jesus looked at people in situations in a different way than everyone else he absolutely did and would you also agree that this different way of viewing things was critical to his success in life and the fulfillment of his god-given destiny and again the answer is absolutely yes jesus never saw impossible he never saw impossible Where other people said, this is impossible, Jesus said it's impossible for people who have a worldview based upon this world system. He said, but this is not impossible for my Father, and it's not impossible to anyone on this earth who can believe. There is so much firing off in my heart right now. Let me, let me, I'm not ready to teach on this yet, but let me just go ahead in, in, in light of where we are right now in, in, in this morning's message, okay? One of Jesus' key missions was to instill his worldview into us. He wanted you and me to see things the way he saw them. As a matter of fact, on one occasion, he directly asks his disciples, he says, lift up your heads and look. Do you see these people? And, 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 and they're like, oh, of course, Jesus, we, we, we see them. They, they've been tagging along with us all day today. You know, it's, it was they, they saw the people as a burden. They saw the people as, as just a bunch of folks who kept interrupting Jesus while he was trying to teach them something. Right? And Jesus said, they're sheep without a shepherd. Notice, he completely different view of, 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 of humankind. Now, here, here's a key point. They're looking at the same crowd of people Jesus was looking at. They just weren't looking at them the way he was looking at them. Let's, let's go back to now, because I don't want to get too, too far removed from what does this have to do with you and me. Let's go back to it. See, your worldview is going to determine your experience. We keep, we, keep wanting, we keep wanting that guy at work that drives us crazy to change. He annoys me. I can't, oh, I don't think I have to get a new job. He annoys Well, see, again, what if your view of that, of that gentleman changed? See, then it would change how you experience him on a daily basis. 
We keep wanting everything and everybody around us to change. And Father's going, let me change you in the middle of everything and everybody around you. And if you'll let me give you a new perspective, a new lens by which you view them, how you experience. Let's, all right, we're going to rewind the tape now. Jesus told him over and over and over again, they're going to kill me. They're going to bury me. They're going to hurt me. And they're going to hurt me bad. I'm going to die. I will be buried Three days, count them, one, two, three, just like Jonah in the belly of the great fish, one, two, three, just like tear this temple down, build it again in three days, one, two, three. He kept emphasizing it, right? I will rise from the dead on the third day. This is going to happen. Are you taking notes? Write this down. This is going to happen. Do not forget it. I do not want your heart to be troubled when you see all these things unfold. He told them over and over and over again because he was trying to get them to see what was about to happen to him in a different light. He's wanting them to see it from a different lens. But instead, on the third day when Jesus is being raised from the dead, one of the greatest, if not the single most greatest event that has ever happened on planet Earth, his disciples are not there with you know Cherry Coke Zero and a bucket of popcorn having a watch party waiting for him to come out of the ground. They're hid off in holes and closets shaking in their boots, afraid that they're next. If they had looked at the situation the way Jesus wanted them to look at the situation, they would have experienced the situation much differently than the way they experienced it. That's one of the best ways that the Holy Spirit's given me so far to try to, to, try to help you see what we're talking about when we say how you experience it. They... they Man, I, I got to thinking about this, and obviously the soldiers were there to guard the tomb, but the way I understand Scripture is that a deep sleep fell upon them. I almost think it was like, you know, this is too precious of a moment for the only witness, human witness, to be a bunch of Roman soldiers. Now, you, you can laugh at me now, laugh at me later, laugh at me now and later, you know. But, I mean, can you imagine Jesus, like, coming, you know, that's, Christmas dramas, passion plays, anybody, we, man, we used to do those. And, you know, the, 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 the great crescendo moment of, of, the, of, the, of, a, of an Easter drama is, is when that stone rolls out and brilliant lights and Jesus steps out of that tomb. Man, I mean, it's, have you ever experienced that? Anybody besides me and three other folks? Okay, praise God, we need to, amen. All right, it's, it's, it's a glorious moment, right? So I'm being a little bit silly here, but can you imagine Jesus? The stone rolled him out. Jesus come busting out, and he's like, where is everybody? You mean no, no, nobody? I thought surely John, maybe Peter. No one there. They weren't there. Instead, they were experiencing terror, fear, sorrow, grief, regret. So, your perspective, right? Your perspective. A reconditioned mind involves the total transformation of your worldview. Now, let's do this. Praise God. Jesus' Jesus's view of the world he found himself in was shaped by the world he was from. We can say it this way. Jesus saw earth through the lens of heaven. Jesus saw earth through the lens of heaven. 
Now, again, before we get too far removed from, from all this, I'm, I'm tr- I've got a target I'm trying to hit this morning. There's a couple of verses I want us to look at, okay? But we'll take our time. Holy Spirit's helping us, okay? We'll take our time. Um, you do understand that every person listening to me right now also has a God-given destiny. Je- Jesus isn't the only one who has a destiny in Father's kingdom here upon the earth. The Bible says that he gave you purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. Amen. You you have a purpose. You have a a God-given assignment. And the sweet spot of life is when you understand what you're on this earth to do and and you're fulfilling that purpose and you're fulfilling that destiny. But now, listen, in the same way that Jesus could not fulfill his destiny... Because the destiny came from heaven. We can't fulfill a destiny from heaven with a worldview from the earth. We, 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 we're going to change the world that we're in with a view of the world that we're in from our homeland. We're in this world. We're not of it. We're ambassadors. Does your worldview include angels? Just think about that for a minute. <laughs> Does your worldview, how you interpret what's going on in the world around you and your place in it, does that include ministering spirits? That's what Hebrews identifies as angels. Ministering spirits who've been sent forth by God to minister for, on behalf of, the heirs of salvation. Now, listen to me very carefully. I know a lot of you are saying yes. Keep on saying yes. Keep on confessing. But listen to me now. I didn't ask you if you knew about angels. Are you following what I'm saying? I didn't ask you if you've ever heard anybody talk about them or if you believe they exist. That's not, that's not what I asked you, okay? Because remember, Jesus told the disciples over and over and over again that he was going to, to be hurt really bad and die and be buried and raise again, rise again on the third day. He told them all of that. They knew about that. But it, their worldview did not include that. The lens by which they interpreted what was happening. See, that's worldview. How did they interpret what was happening? He's dead and our goose is cooked. Right? Here's a huge part about your worldview. Your worldview determines your expectations of things. What you expect comes from your worldview. So what were they expecting? Were they expecting him to be raised from the dead? No. They were expecting a knock on their door and, and a, you know, 25 stormtroopers fixing to grab them. That's what they were expecting. So they knew about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but it was not included in their worldview. It was not a factor in how they interpreted what was happening or their place or their role in this. Remember, their role was to be witnesses. Am I right about it? That that was a huge part of of, they were to witness what Jesus did in his three-year ministry on this earth. They were to, and they missed the biggest moment. The biggest moment was not Lazarus being raised from the dead. The biggest moment was Jesus being raised from the dead. 
But now notice, even after watching Lazarus after four days, Jesus told them, count them boys, three, but on Lazarus, we, we're going at four, body already decomposing, and not to, not to mention that, he had a sickness that killed him before he died. They were there with the, with the, with the stench of Lazarus' rotten body in their nostrils. They saw him come bouncing out of, that, out of that tomb. That was not a factor on resurrection morning, though. See what I'm saying? They, not only do they know about it, see, this was not just a story that they heard. It was a story that they witnessed. They experienced it. But boy, when it came to Jesus' resurrection, it was like that never happened. So I'm going to ask you again. Do you see the difference now? Not do you know about angels, but are angels a factor in your worldview? Meaning a lot of things, and one of them being, do you expect angels to minister for you? <laughs> do you that's, that's worldview. Jesus said perilous times would come, and we're, we're, we're in them. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. We're, we're in them. Uh, think things are, 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 are not just bad, but they're getting worse in the world around us. See, this is why we should not fear. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, do not worry if you live in a city with a low crime rate. He, he said, don't, don't worry. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Talk about focus, right? What, 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 are you, what are you centered on? Angels ministering for you. What does that look like? It looks like them going ahead of you and protecting you. It, it, it looks like them bringing messages to you. It, it, it looks like them going and finding your stuff and bringing it to you. They hearken to the voice of God's word and they hasten to perform it. You send your children out the door to, to school or to work or, or to whatever. Amen? Don't be, don't be sitting there. Commission angels. You, when you tell your children goodbye and they get on that school bus in the morning, you stand there and you picture three angels getting on that bus with them. That's worldview, see. You remember the, the uh, servant of the prophet in the Old Testament? And they're surrounded on every side. <laughs> they're like, the armies are all against them. And, and I think it's Gehazi, is that his name? He's freaking out, right? He's like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the prophet says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes. Because he said, open his eyes that he may see because those who are for us are, are greater than those who are against us. And now all of a sudden, his eyes are opened, and he sees angels and chariots. Angels and chariots. See, that's a heavenly worldview. The prophet's worldview included ministering spirits sent forth to minister for him, to protect him, to bear him up lest he dash his foot against a stone. 
What do you say, Brother Donald? If you never stump your toe, you can never fall. And if you can never fall, if you never stumble, you'll never fall. Amen. Do you realize how many people's worldview is? Well, you know, what don't kill us makes us stronger. Oh, man, that's not what, by the way, that's not a Bible verse. But that's a lot of people's worldview. What, why is it their worldview? It's because they're trying to make sense out of challenges and difficulties and hard times in life based upon this world's understanding, based upon the world. So, see, you were never meant to live in this world with a view of this world that comes from this world. We are in this world. We're not of this world. And our perspective, our worldview, our lens through which we look at this world cannot be from what we've heard from this world, what we've experienced in this world. Got to see this world the way our Heavenly Father sees it. So we're always trying to muster up love. When you start seeing people the way God sees them, you won't have to try to muster it up. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Here's another key thing. Jesus saw earth through the lens of heaven, and Jesus refused to allow, he refused to allow his view of the world to be formed by the world. How much of, how much of what we use to interpret what's going on around us comes from the world instead of from God? We start trying to make sense out of things. We start looking for answers to questions. We start trying to figure out what we need to do about something. So that's when we start getting in a whole heap of trouble right there. When, when we have a worldview that came from this world, and now we're going to figure out what we're going to do about it. Right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. See, a worldview that's, that comes from this world, man, you, you'll be making enemies out of people. You'll be judging people. You'll be trying to figure out ways to get revenge on people. You'll be, mm-mm. There's no power in that. You're playing right into the devil's plan. You're, you're playing right into the devil's hands. You're, you're playing right into his strategy. Jesus, bleeding to death, naked on a cross. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they're doing. Listen very carefully now. Listen very carefully. Jesus wasn't like being uh, syrupy sweet. You understand what I mean by that? He wasn't like putting on for the cameras. He wasn't like, you know, when, uh, when we took the first step on the moon, they talked about, you know, one small step for man. One, you know, thinking of like, okay, this is a really important moment in history, so let me come up with something really good to say here. No, you know why he said that? It's because his view of those men was they have no idea what they're doing. And so, Father, I'm asking you to forgive them. Greatest crime ever committed on planet Earth. Jesus wasn't putting on for the cameras. That was his interpretation of the situation and what his place in that situation what he was supposed to do, how he was supposed to respond, what he was supposed to say. It was being informed by his worldview. It was being influenced by his worldview. Not hate, not revenge. We need a worldview shaped by the Word of God. We need to view the world and our place in it based upon what our Father has clearly stated. Listen to me now has clearly stated in the life example of His Son, Jesus. 
And when I say the Word of God, you do know that we're talking about the book, capital T, capital B. But remember, Jesus is the Word made flesh. And He leaves, he leaves nothing to our own interpretation. That's why He lived it out. Bill Johnson says it this way. He says, Jesus is perfect theology. Theology being the study of God. If you want to study God, you study Jesus, because if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. He is a thorough, a complete, no stone left unturned revealing of the Father. He is the express image of God, like a typewriter, a manual typewriter slapping a page, leaving an imprint. Jesus is the express imprint of God on this planet, the the life that He lived here. And when we talk about the worldview that we need formed in us, I'm going to read it again. We need to view the world and our place in it based upon what our Father has clearly stated in the life example of His Son, Jesus. Man, where's the time go? I want to, I still haven't given you a, let me, and this is kind of a work in progress. This is, I'm kind of cobbling together some different definitions, but here, here is, Uh, And this is subject to change, but here's the, and it's kind of wordy, but just stay with me, all right? Worldview is a collection of attitudes. Attitudes, I like to break that down a little further into mindsets. So a worldview is a collection of things. Uh, Attitudes or mindsets, values. Let me stop right here, okay? And we're going to, last thing we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at where Jesus taught us about worldview, okay? We find it in Matthew 6. And he says this, he says, The lamp of the body is the eye. Okay? I'm going to say it again. The lamp of the body is the eye. I'm emphasizing the, okay? Because he's giving us a universal truth. Every person in this room, every person in this room, the lamp of the body is the eye. He then personalizes it. If, if your eye is good. If your eye is bad. Remember now, every significant shift, anybody can finish the sentence, every significant shift always involves a significant if. Remember when the Lord started talking to us about this? Some of you weren't here for those sermons, so... You're not expected to know that answer, right? Now you are because you just heard it, okay? A significant shift. Father God wants to produce a significant shift in your life this year, 2023. A year of significant shift. A significant shift always involves a significant if. And so here it is. If your eye be good. Now, why did he go from a universal to a personal. Why did he go from the lamp of the body is the eye if your eye? Because you have figured it out by now, if you've lived on earth very long, that not everybody has your eye for things. In other words, not everybody sees things the way you see them. We see things differently. And we think, well, that's just diversity. And it's not diversity, it's division. We're not supposed to see things differently. We're supposed to see things the way Jesus sees them. That's called unity. 
When you look at it one way and I look at it another, that gives room for the enemy to try to bring division among us. But if we both say, you know what, it's not about how I see it or what I think or how you see it or what you think. How about let's see what God has to say about it and let's both bring our opinions and our thoughts and our view of this situation or this doctrine or this problem into alignment with thus saith the word of God. Do you see the difference there, right? Well, you know, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. Man, that's just such a lie from the devil. Want to agree to disagree? Listen, agree to disagree would be useful if there was no absolute truth. If God had not spoken, if God had not acted, if Jesus had not come to this earth and lived it out in front of us and spoken to us, well, then I guess we could say, well, I guess we'll agree to disagree. I'm not here to demand that you agree with me. No more than I hope you're here to demand that I, that I agree with you. We're here to find out what God thinks about this situation and agree with Him. The best advice I could ever give anybody is agree with God and agree with Him quickly. Husbands and wives, you having issues in your marriage? Agree with God. Quit trying to get your spouse to agree with you or vice versa. If you'll both get into agreement with God, you're going to be amazed at how wonderful your marriage becomes. A significant shift, see? Well, she just won't submit to me. Don't get me started on that. So a worldview is a collection of attitudes. Mindsets, values. Values simply puts it's what's important to you. For some people, NASCAR racing is very important to them. I really hadn't cared much about it since Davy got killed. Davy Allison, those of you who aren't from around here. For other folks, Alabama Auburn football really important to them. Other folks could care less about it, right? And I, I'm using simple things here, and obviously there's way more important things than NASCAR racing and college football. But what's the point? The point that I'm trying to make is, you know, when we talk about your worldview, it has to do with a collection of your values. What's important to you? What you treasure is how Jesus put it in Matthew 6. it's, It's a collection of your mindsets, your attitudes, a collection of your stories. You got stories. I got stories. Are you following what I'm saying here? I hope I didn't wig some of you out by coming right out of the gates this morning talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit speaking in unknown tongues. But when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke with unknown tongues at the age of 12, I learned something the next morning when uh, a family up the street, their children, their dad was a pastor, they came down, knocked on my front door because Matthew and Meredith had told them what had happened to me that Sunday night before. It was during the summertime. And they came down there to set me straight. And I didn't even really know enough about it from the Scriptures to even be able to explain it to them. And I got frustrated when they kept saying, what'd you say, what'd you say, if there wasn't an interpreter. You know, they kept bombarding these questions, and I got frustrated. And I'm not proud of this, but I sissy-cussed them. I said, I don't know what the heck I said. It's almost like, get out of my face, leave me alone. You know, I'm fixing to act like anything but a child of God, you know. But let me tell you what I learned after I asked the Lord to forgive me for sissy-cussing them. I, you know what I learned that day? I learned that an experience beats an argument every time. Those folks come marching down there with an argument. I had an experience. I knew what happened to me. That's my story. Are you following me? Jesus told Nicodemus, says, Nicodemus, I've just been telling you my story and you ain't believed a word I've said. 
know what I'm saying? But it's his story. It's the story of Jesus. Amen? And the story of Jesus is not just he died and was buried and raised from the dead. The story of Jesus is it begins with his, not even his virgin birth. I mean, we could start there. But the story of Jesus begins before Adam and Eve were created when he agreed to be the sacrifice and the lamb slain from the foundation of the world for you and me. It's a beautiful story. Experiences. And expectations. So one more run at it. A worldview is a collection of attitudes, values, stories, experiences, and expectations about the world around us which inform our every thought and action. That word inform means it, it tells you. It, it's more than influence. It literally tells you what to think and how to act. Your worldview then predetermines how you will think and act in any given situation. And that's strong right there, isn't it? That's strong right there. All right, praise God. Stand with me this morning. You get anything out of this? Oh, sweet Jesus. Amen. So, in Matthew, the sixth chapter, and if you have a chance later this afternoon, in light of what we've talked about this morning, we had another hour and a half. That's where we would go, but we'll get there next week and the week after. But in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19, you, you may not know exactly where the verse is, but it's where Jesus begins with, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, but where? In heaven, right? Because on the earth, moth destroys, you know. You realize stuff in heaven will not rust. It, 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 it's, it's just amazing. Okay, it's a different atmosphere there. And what follows then seems like several disjointed comments or points or remarks made by Jesus unrelated to the ones before or after. But that would not be the case. When he begins with, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, but in heaven, he goes on to say, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Let me, let me tell you what Jesus is saying. He's, he's saying that to lay up for yourself treasure in heaven means, watch this now, you not only believe there is a heaven, but you're living your life on earth focused on heaven. You see? And then he's going to talk about the eye being good or bad. Then he's going to talk about not worrying. Let me tell you how to eliminate worry from your life. A heavenly worldview. <laughs> Are you following what I'm saying? A heavenly worldview. You won't. And then Jesus gives us, right? He, he goes on to say, he says, man, consider the birds. Father feeds them. Consider the flowers of the field. Solomon in his nicest threads was never dressed like them. And Father did that. And you're so much more valuable to him. Notice what is he doing? He's trying to shift our worldview. Amen. Father, you're so good to us. And, and Lord, we are to study to show ourselves approved. We're to fellowship with you. We're to, we're to pray. Um, we're, we're to learn and grow and, and all those things. Lord, so, so, so extremely important. But Father, help us to never make the mistake of thinking that we can produce this worldview within ourselves by our own effort alone. Father, this is something that you do in us by the work of your Holy Spirit and by the work of your living and powerful word. Father, we 
ask you this morning and give you permission this morning to completely and radically revolutionize our worldview, to bring it into alignment with yours. Father, that we would see things through the lens, the singular focused lens, Father, of truth, of Jesus who is the truth. Father, that we would begin to understand, Lord, what's going on in the world around us, not based upon what's being said by those in the world around us, but that we would begin to understand what's going on in the world around us, Lord, based upon what you have already said about it, what you've already done about it, what you've already put in place, what you've already given to us, Lord, all the way up to and including, uh, Lord, the keys to the kingdom. Father, that angels wouldn't just be a factor in our worldview, but kingdom would be a factor. Covenant would be a factor. Blessing would be a factor. The name of Jesus would be a factor. Lord, that we would, we would have this, this perspective, Father, that will transform our experience and the way we experience, Father. Even the way we experience people who are not nice to us. Thank you, Lord, for your love, for your wisdom. Father, I take authority over demonic spirits that would try to steal this word from the hearts of your people. Thank you, Father, that this word will not be stolen, but it will put down roots and it will produce fruits in our lives, 30, 60, 100 fold, a radical difference, a significant shift in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Oh, it's such a beautiful group today.